0: Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.
1: Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis.
2: And I am alive. You are alive. some people want to be dead. <laughs> That's a reference to later on in the show. Um, I'm quoting the Pope there, but I am I'm doing well. I am alive. I'm really oh excited gosh. to be with you today for this show.
1: Me too. This uh, is yeah. going to be a good one.
2: Yeah, we have a really, we got, the Pope just like keeps giving us, speeches and quotes and things so we've got more to unpack so that's coming up first but but
1: not only that an amazing interview uh with Casey Stanton
2: yeah, I'm sure you clicked on this podcast in your feed because you saw the the words women deacons. and um, that always gets a lot of eyeballs and in ears when when it comes up. And we have a really incredible uh, way to approach it, I think today.
1: yeah. so Casey is the co-director of Discerning Deacons, which is a project that uh, seeks to engage Catholics in the active discernment of the church about women and the diaconate. So Casey is someone who herself personally feels, called to to be a deacon and of course in the current church that's not a possibility for her
2: right and it it's not a currently a possibility but the idea is under study um by the Vatican it's, it seems that as long as the permanent diaconate has been restored it's been under study um which Casey gets into but right now the Vatican is currently under its I, I think second commission under to, Pope Francis under Pope Francis yeah. to study the historicity and theology of the female diaconate. What Casey's trying to do is you know, create a space where we're all okay talking about it, right? And so right now I feel like we're limited to looking at the history and the theology, which is really important, but Casey's a good reminder that you know the Holy Spirit is alive today working in people and calling people um, to certain types of ministry, and she has a really important perspective.
1: She also had a really great drink recommendation for us.
2: Yes, so what's on tap this week? It's called Hope Punch
1: each ingredient is is specifically chosen for its symbolism in in this drink yeah. so we're starting off with um pomegranate so the church uh, is service to the many and the one pomegranates have a lot
2: of little seeds in one yes <laughs> um we've also got rum for fortification So. For the strength to carry on. <laughs>
1: Champagne uh, for the joy in the midst, in the midst of this journey of discernment.
2: Yes, and we have lemon with sugar to balance the pastoral with the prophetic.
1: <laughs> and finally, it is garnished with thyme. That's T-H-Y-M-E. Um, and that is for the patience to wait and to push, to insist on justice now, but know you will stay to the eschaton.
2: Well, cheers <laughs> to that. To cheers. this hope punch.
1: <laughs> All right. I'm excited. Oh, wow.
2: <laughs> you can really taste the eschaton.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: um, yeah, it's, it's good. I'm
1: feeling more hopeful already. There were also,
2: she did not give us any like measurements. Right. So um, we eyeballed this whole thing. So it's a little sweeter than I would like. We should yeah. have fortified it a little bit more, yeah. but very good. Yeah. So stick around for a conversation with Casey Stanton from Discerning Deacons.
1: But first, we have Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. And this week, we are bringing on to our friend and colleague, Colleen Dully from Inside the Vatican, to talk about that Pope news Zach Hello. mentioned.
2: Yeah. Yes, welcome, Colleen.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Zach. Uh, fun, fun week to be a Vatican reporter, eh? Oh my gosh, fun <laughs> couple of weeks, yeah. I know. You no, know, we said last week, you know, the biggest news from Pope Francis's. Foreign trips often comes on the plane ride back, Mm -hmm. and yet so and so we had one of those last week, and this week we learned something that happened during the trip that was at the uh before this week not yeah it. right we
3: thought that the spiciest news was going to be his comments on the plane mm-hmm. which were very spicy but then he gave uh this Q&A session with a group of Slovak Jesuits uh in Bratislava during his trip and the transcript just came out this week so uh yeah let's let's get right into it uh yeah. first probably by explaining Zach's joke from the beginning of the show <laughs> yes
2: yeah so uh the first question from a Jesuit was How are you? How are you doing? (laughs) Right.
3: Pretty basic question. And the Pope just was like off to the races. He started. I'm still alive, even though some people wanted me to die. So yeah, so that's a reference to his surgery over the summer where he was, you know, yeah, he had a colon surgery this summer. He had several inches of his intestine removed. and um and he basically he revealed to these Jesuits that there had even been meetings in the Vatican among some prelates who assumed that the Pope was not recovering as well as the official reports had said, uh, which, like, okay, helped health, healthy skepticism, sure. But then he said, they were they got together they were having meetings to to prepare for a conclave uh, yeah, but he said some people wanted him to die after that surgery.
2: You're just imagining that awkward encounter. Like, oh, holy father.
3: <laughs> so glad to see you. Right. Healthy
2: and walking. We That meeting was just a precaution. I yeah, promise.
3: like pretty awkward that he heard about that and then called it out publicly. The thing with these comments that he made this week is, or that he made in this meeting, is that he knew they were going to be published. So he's kind of, he's saying this knowing people are going to hear it.
2: Yeah, um, that did flow into a, a later question in that conversation, which Which garnered a lot of headlines in the American press Mm -hmm. uh, because a Jesuit asked him basically, you know, like, hey, a lot of people are pretty suspicious of you. They think you're heterodox, even though. A lot of people also idolize you. Um, so how do you, what, how do you deal with that? How do you sift through that? And his answer was pretty interesting.
3: Yeah, he was asked how he deals with people who look at him with suspicion. And he just went right into it calling out, uh, he said, there is, for example, a large Catholic television channel that has no hesitation in continually speaking ill of the Pope. He said, he went on, he said, I personally deserve attacks and insults because I'm a sinner, but the church does not deserve them. And then he called them the work of the devil. So those attacks, not not the TV station he was referring to.
1: Yes. Uh, and what TV station was he referring to?
3: Yeah. So I mean, it sounds like you're making an assumption just based on what we just said. But then he went on. Uh, I have also said this to some of them, and that gave us a clue about who he was talking about. So we think that the Pope was talking about EWTN. One, because the largest Catholic yeah. TV and radio
1: network in the world. Yes, yeah.
3: absolutely huge. They have a bunch of uh, companies that that are kind of under the EWTN umbrella. So Catholic News Agency, the National Catholic Register. They also have a very big TV presence in Rome. They have a big the biggest staff of any media outlet there. Yeah, that's the large Catholic TV channel part. But then he said he had said this to some of them. He had told them, hey, you need to stop speaking badly of me. And our Vatican correspondent, Jerry O'Connell, who does the Inside the Vatican podcast with me, uh, did some reporting on this and found out what encounter the Pope was referring to here. He was talking about how on March 5th, on his flight from Rome to Baghdad, that was during the Iraq trip, He had been going around, the Pope had been going around greeting journalists like he usually does, and he went up to the EWTN reporter and their camera person, and they said, Holy Father, hi, good to meet you. We're always praying for you, because he's always asking for prayers. And the Pope said, Mother Angelica, your founder, may be in heaven praying for me, but you need to stop badmouthing me.
2: Yeah. Wow. Uh, So maybe we should just like uh, pause and explain a little bit like, okay, so- Mm -hmm. The Pope did not, in these comments, directly implicate EWTN. No, we at America felt comfortable enough connecting them because Jerry was able to confirm with va- like multiple mm-hmm. Vatican, Three Vatican, officials. Vatican
1: high level sources.
3: He told me hey. this morning he has four now.
2: So four. Yeah,
3: he also feels confident in this because the wording that the Pope used in his explanation of this and the wording that was used in that exchange on the plane was exactly the same. He like used the same Italian verb.
1: So we should say EWTN has commentators and specific programs uh, within their TV and radio network that are themselves, you know, critical of the Pope or give platforms to people who are extremely critical of the Pope. People like Archbishop Vigano and Cardinal Raymond Burke, Steve Bannon, so people like that. So it's not the entire network, but there are, they're some of their most prominent people. Have uh, been very vocal in their attacks on Pope Francis. Right.
3: One example of that, that that shows us that Pope Francis was definitely not talking about the whole network was that that reporter who he said this to on the plane, it was actually their first papal trip ever. Like they were a pretty new person at EWTN when this happened. I, I think it's important for us to say there that, that, you know, journalists are supposed to hold people in power to account. That is part of our job, right? We're not supposed to approach any powerful person uncritically. But what EWCN is doing in the Pope's view is far over the line of constructive criticism, right? It's it's attacking at the unity of the church. It's attacking at the heart of the church. It's attacking not him as a person, but his position uh, and his authority as yes, like- His office. The, as, yeah, as yeah. as you know, as old school Catholics say, the guarantor of unity and orthodoxy in the church, right? He's like, I personally deserve these attacks, but the church doesn't deserve to have its head Attacked this way,
2: yeah. Which is, I you brought up a really interesting point, particularly about you know what is the role of a Catholic journalist? Because you can imagine a a a different scenario where you've got a head of state, Mm -hmm. you know, basically calling (laughs) critical a critical outlet the work, you know, and their attacks and their criticisms the work of the devil. Right in a secular context, we'd be we'd be freaking out a little bit, and so we do have to be clear because. As we've seen, there are people in high positions of authority in the church that certainly need to be held to account. And religion journalists, in particular, have helped the church, you know, become who it's supposed to be and become accountable um, for the things it's done wrong. But what specifically, you know, you got into it a little bit here, Colleen, is is, is different about what you know EWTN is as a Catholic outlet and, and what exactly their attacks are on the Pope.
3: Basically, they're they're telling people not to trust in this pope's authority, right? And we see strains of this uh, throughout kind of Catholic commentary on the internet. You know, there are, there are plenty of people who, uh, well, there's a vocal minority that sees this yeah. pope as not a legitimate pope. There are people, right. Archbishop,
1: who, v, you know, went so far as to you know issue a letter calling for the pope to resign. Yeah, that was
3: based yeah. on a lot of a lot of falsehoods, right? That ended up coming out. Uh, And yet, EWTN continued to give him a platform.
2: Now, I think a lot of people who are listening would be very surprised to hear this because to them, EWTN um, is- Where their
1: grandma watches mass. For sure.
3: Mass
2: and the rosary. Yeah. And so to hear the Pope call- this Catholic TV channel, you know, and the things they're doing—the work of the devil—I'm sure it's pretty jarring.
3: Oh yeah, totally. I've been thinking nonstop about what, what my grandma would think about this, about us reporting on the Pope saying
2: this about the TV station that she watched for,
3: you know, my entire childhood. Um,
2: right, and, and and the reach is enormous, right? Yeah. Because it's they've got they've got the television station, but they've also got several. Uh, news outlets connected to them, National Catholic Register, Catholic News Agency. They have about Um, 500
3: radio stations and they have a big uh, company that's a branch off of them in Africa.
2: So I do think that this should, you know, cause some sort of a reckoning within the American church um, because EWTN is is extremely influential, um, both in the lives of the homebound, right, who watch it for mass and rosaries, but also um, a number of our leaders in the American Church are are taking very seriously the things that it says. And if you know it's at odds with the Pope, it's not to say that the Pope is automatically right, but it does it does call for a moment of reflection. I think.
1: So, if you want to hear more about this, because there is a lot more to this uh, talk that the Pope gave to the Jesuits in Slovakia, you can read. All about that, get Jerry's reporting at americamagazine.org. And if you listen to ITV this week, you can get a behind-the-scenes look at, at how all this went down. Jerry Jerry was on that papal flight back in March 5th. He accompanied the Pope to Slovakia. Um, so he he has, he has a lot to say on the subject. So go over to Inside the Vatican.
2: Colleen, thanks so much for joining us. I hope you get a break, and I hope the Pope, you know, just, like, takes a, a rest for a week or so that you can have some time <laughs> to chill out.
3: It's always fun to come on here and and unpack the stories with y'all. So
1: thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Colleen. And now stick around for our conversation with Casey Stanton. Joining us from Durham, North Carolina is Casey Stanton. Casey is the co-director of Discerning Deacons, a project to engage Catholics in the active discernment of the church about women and the diaconate. Welcome to Jesuitical, Casey. Thank you so much for having me today.
2: Yeah, thanks for being here. This is going to be a really exciting topic. I know we've had a lot of listeners write in with um, a ton of interest about it. So right now, the Vatican is currently exploring, um, through a number of I think we're on our second commission to study uh, the possibility of women deacons. But before we get into s- sort of the church politics and bureaucracy, can we just like start in with you? Because I think you have a personal story that's of of interest here. You personally feel called to the diaconate, Is that correct? I do. Could you could you say like a little bit about where that came from?
4: Sure. You know, I'm part of the first generation of women who are now old enough to serve as deacon. So I'm 36. Might be on the old edge for your listeners. But um, who I grew up as an altar server. So kind of growing up, doing the ordinary things of serving at the mass, getting called out from school to go do funerals and weddings on the weekends. And I didn't come from a particularly pious home. I grew up in Boston. um, But Serving at the altar was just one of the things you did once you hit the mark of First Communion. You know, when I was in high school, I went to an all-girls high school, and one of the things we had to do for to pass religion class sophomore year was prepare um, a homily, a reflection on the Word of God. And we were expected, as young women following Jesus in the world, to be able to read the scripture and to have something edifying to say for our community. So... I didn't know there was anything revolutionary about that at the time. It was just what was expected of us. And at the same time that I was, you know, a young girl in high school, the clergy sex abuse scandal broke in Boston. I grew up in Boston. And it was really a shattering moment of feeling like, what is this institution? Is this an institution I want to be connected to? You know, what is it about? Uh, and so I went on sort of a long roundabout journey to try to figure out if you know this was going to be a home for me. And it was through the witness and encountering people who just seemed to take Jesus at his word when he said to feed the hungry and go visit those who were in prison and visit the sick. They were doing it. I met a sort of a troop of Catholic workers in South Bend, and they took me in. It was It just went better for me when I hung out with them on a Friday night. Uh, I woke up with less regret on Saturday morning, and I found that there was a lot of healing here in those that were practicing the works of mercy. So they were kind of first disciples on my own journey that made me feel like the Catholic Church was big and wide, and there was plenty good room for all of us. And even as certain decision makers in the church had really violated and broken trust in pretty horrific ways, um, there were others who were kind of pointing another way forward of a way to practice the faith that was pretty radical and revolutionary. And so it just it really inspired me. And I had no I didn't have like deacon dreams (laughs) as a 20 year old. I just. Well, um, at that
2: time was the idea of even women deacons, even like a thought in your mind, because, you know, I imagine at this point, right, like it's sort of pretty closed off, right? Like holy orders reserved for for males.
4: Yeah. And it wasn't really a desire. I mean, I think what I found again and again was a a kind of aliveness in the word of God. So there was a Dominican sister who was the rector of my dorm in undergrad and all the male dorms on campus would have daily mass because they had priests in residence. Uh, and we wouldn't have them because we wouldn't have daily mass because we didn't have a priest. And so I went to her about this and she said, well, we could still gather and And have a liturgy of the word. And so we started inviting women from all over campus to come and give reflections on the scripture. So I think for me, this meeting God in the scripture and breaking open the word with others was a place where I constantly felt called and felt a lot of life. And I wouldn't have had the word deacon. (laughs) Like I wouldn't have been able to name that as, oh, a deacon is a minister of the word. And therefore, perhaps this is an early sign that you're called. It was over a decade later when I was finishing up a Master's of Divinity, and I'd been serving as a chaplain intern at a women's prison in Raleigh. And you know, I was there, and when you're the chaplain on the grounds, you are seen as the god person on the grounds. So people didn't need me to be confused about whether I had the authority to be there. They just needed me to stand on my chaplain hat and be ready for whatever they needed to talk about, whatever they needed to bring. They needed me to lead prayer. They needed me to preach. And as I was stepping into what the community there was calling for, there was sort of an experience in that that was profound. Oh, I can be God's minister in this place. But as the internship was wrapping up and I was trying to figure out kind of what to do with this awakening sense of call to ministry – it It felt a little bit like a dead end because in, in the state of North Carolina, to serve in the Department of Corrections as a chaplain, you need to be ordained. And so I just wasn't really sure what to do with that. Um, and at the same time, I was kind of on an intellectual journey, just curious about what the church did teach about ordination and about women's roles in the church. And I came to this end of a long study that in a lot of ways was summed up in Cardinal Dulles' talk that is reprinted in America this this month, where he just gives the account about kind of why the church is teaching on the ordination, why that, that women cannot be ordained, like why that's authoritative in the church. And the very last two sentences of his talk, he points to the diaconate. He says, but this question about women and the diaconate, I mean, that requires further exploration and perhaps might be advanced and developed in the life of the church. So in my own intellectual study, I came to the same conclusion. I have a saying, you know, here's all the teaching on ordination and priesthood, but the diaconate. And I kind of said to him, what's a deacon? What even are we
1: talking about? So you mentioned seeing… You know, the, there were these places you found in the church, uh, the Catholic worker, this uh woman religious at at your college who, you know, showed you a place where you could be involved and in touch with the scripture that wasn't um, connected to ordination. And I think a lot of people have an experience in their own parishes of seeing women kind of running the show already. They're most likely to be the lecturers and the Eucharistic ministers and you know, the greeters. Like, women are all over the place. So what is it that— just to go back to basics that like that deacons can do that those women who are already involved can't? That's
4: such a great question. And I think it's super important in these conversations to not invisibilize all the women that are already working and leading and ministering and serving and running things and serving as in every level of the church. It's not like there aren't women leaders in the church because women aren't ordained. So I think that's super important. I think the for me, that this question about women and the diaconate is a bit like the persistent widow. Since the diaconate was restored at the Second Vatican Council, it has continued to be studied. So while we're in the Second Commission for this Pope, there's just been study after study after study of, you know, might women be received into this order? And I,
1: th- right. I th- to to clarify yeah. before Vatican II, sure. the diaconate was reserved for people, you know, on the way to priesthood. Yeah, and then after Vatican II, um, any man could become a deacon. Yeah, it
4: was pretty revolutionary. Like it had been hundreds of years since there were what we call permanent deacons, not just preparing for priesthood. And the distinct vocation for me really came alive. I, this is kind of a crazy story, but I went to, it was the 50th anniversary of the restoration of the permanent diaconate. It's like a very long Catholic word, but they were having a big party in New Orleans and there were 2,500 deacons and their wives that came together for this celebration. And I heard it was coming. I heard, I saw that it was happening and I was just on the beginning of this deacon journey. I was trying to learn about deacons. What do they do? What is this vocation? What's it even all about? You know, I I didn't know if it if it was something I was being called to, but I was sort of in the midst of study. So I dragged my mother with me. And so we showed up to this conference. And I, I, I've never had the – I mean, I had the experience of both feeling like I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And I was completely invisible all at the same time. So one of the things that was Profound was hearing, you know, Deacon Bill Dietwig talk about how the vocation of the deacon is to be the conscience of the church, it's to drag the ambo to the streets and the streets to the ambo, like sort of um, animating the the social and prophetic um, tradition in the church as deacon. So I was just in the Amen corner, like, yes, this is it, like a faith alive, a faith doing justice, you know, connecting. What we proclaim from the pulpit with what is required of us to go out in the world in mission and heal and serve and bring God's justice. So, the vision of the diaconate that was kind of proclaimed at this gathering really caught my imagination. And they're, you know, deacons are kind of ministers on the threshold. So, you're not only about service at the altar and in the liturgy and in in the proclamation of the word but a minister of charity who's helping to meet and discern what the needs of the people are and helping to unleash the gifts that are that are sort of latent in the community so those were parts of the as i was learning more about what the ministry of the deacon is meant to be and can be and is that was a piece of what helped compel me forward
2: well, and there are some, like in the same way that uh, you know you mentioned in the state of Carolina, you have to be ordained to be able to carry out certain ministries from a secular function, but also within the church, right? Like they are pretty clear you can and can't do's um, mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. your status of ordination, like yeah. um baptize uh, in most circumstances, you know, preach, witness. um witness marriages, funerals. Um, am I missing any other?
4: those are um, yeah, funerals, marriages, preaching. In the, having faculties to preach at mass. Well, I think I, I
2: just I like, feel like it's important to say yeah. because I, yes. I I do feel like sometimes in these conversations there's a, a thing of, well you don't have to be a priest or a deacon to be able to you know spread the word of God and like that's true but there, we 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 should be upfront about mm-hmm. the rules that are in place and the things that mm-hmm. we do reserve for for ordination. Um, I kind of want to like get into this experience of discernment that you have because. You're encountering this this call um, or the, this call, this desire, this interest to explore the diaconate at a, at a time when there is still a prohibition um, mm-hmm. on women deacons, but also a time of exploration. And, you know, we've seen other movements in the church try to, you know, ex- lots of women leave to explore this call to ministry, right? They leave the the formal Roman Catholic Church and you know they join another denomination. Did what was that like, you know, trying to decide whether or not to stay within the institutional Catholic Church?
4: I don't think I'm alone in this, but I'm I just um I'm Catholic in my bones, you know, and I'm Catholic because um it's the tradition that has shaped me and has given birth to this love of the word, and um, and this desire to serve the church. And so when I first learned about deacons, it was exactly the same time when the Women Religious of um, the International uh, Union of Superior's General first met in 2016 with Pope Francis and put this question before him about, um, what about women in the diaconate? And he said, yes, of course, we should continue to study. Now it's this living conversation Um, And we've got the first gender balanced, you know, commission in Vatican history, as far as we know, that's, that's put into motion. And so at that time, I actually started the Ignatian exercises. I did the 19th annotation and had an experience early on in that process of really just coming open, you know, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go become an Episcopalian priest? Am I supposed to?
2: So you were definitely wrestling with, you know, should I leave?
4: it was all on the table, like a good discernment. You got to put it all there. And there was a lot of consolation right from the beginning, a sense that of saying, Jesus saying, "You're called, I've called you to preach, I've called you to preside, and I've called you to stay. And then Jesus saying, like, now it's time to learn how to pray. Like, I've got you. And so it was this real sense of like, okay, like, If you've got me, I'm here, I'm here. I just wanna follow you. That's the whole point, that's the whole game is to follow you and wherever you're leading me.
2: Did you have any resistance to that?
4: Internally or?
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: No, there's so much joy in this um, and there's so much joy in, I think one of the greatest joys has been discovering that I'm not alone because I think one of the lies that I had in my own head was, well, I must just be hearing this wrong because there's not a path for this in the church. So I can't be called to this because there's not a path. And God wouldn't call me to something that's not possible to do, I don't think, except for the whole Mary, impossible things, all of that. So it, it, it was, it, I, you know, you can start to feel a little insane. Like I can't trust my own judgment anymore. And so one of the things I did early on was just start to reach out to people anyone I could find on the internet who talked about women in the diaconate. And I just was calling them and and asking for their stories and trying to get to know them. And I realized I wasn't alone. Like there's other people out here, but we're kind of this underground, like we're working in the church, we're ministering. You know, I, when I went to work at my own parish Immaculate Conception you know i would broach it with my supervisor who was a woman who'd been in ministry her whole life and she was like of course i feel like i was called to that like of course and just it was it was sort of this open secret there were three women on our little parish staff who all would have discerned a diaconal vocation if the door was opened so that was part of the consolation for me was oh we're all out here it's just maybe we're just invisible somehow and what would it mean for our church leaders to have an encounter with our call? And could that be an occasion for conversion, for learning something new
1: about who can be ordained to what in our church? You you talk about this, you know, taking a very Ignatian approach to this discernment. And one thing, you know, you hear about in the spiritual exercises um, and from Jesuits is the importance of you know, indifference and having the interior freedom to like be like, "All right, there <laughs> what I think I want could maybe not be what I want, and I need to be open to what happens. And you know, I don't have to tell you that the church can, you know, moves in sen- changes in centuries and slowly and sometimes not at all. So you must there must be part of you that accepts or maybe even e- expects that this change might not happen in your lifetime and so i'm wondering how you how you think about indifference in 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 terms of your call i think about it a lot i um met with my own bishop
4: to seek his counsel um and his blessing for this work um just which is work to try to make it okay to have the conversation to say it's it's okay for us to talk about this it's not a banished topic it's not a burned book we can just explore this we can learn some things so when we met that was one of his pieces of counsel was you know be sure you're not leading people to have false expectations or false hope that you know this is definitely going to happen and so and then if it doesn't they're super disappointed and i've been thinking about that advice a lot Because there is a way that we have to hold everything loose, you know. Nothing's promised.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, I want to clarify. Indifference does not mean not caring. Oh no, (laughs) I
4: know exactly what you mean. I think that's a good. It's a. I think it's a really liberating topic because it Mm -hmm. actually means it's not my job to make it happen. Like it's not like somehow I'm called to get the church to make this big change. Like no, I'm just called to be faithful today to the next thing that I'm being prompted and invited to go do. And I feel like a part of the path had before we started discerning deacons, before the thing got launched, it was just, it was finding other women and discovering we weren't alone. It was beginning to build a network and say, what if we weren't afraid to name out loud what we feel like we're being called to? And and can that still be a faithful act? So there, I definitely do have to practice a certain indifference like would i would be disapp- I, you know i would be disappointed i'm not, i wouldn't i don't want to lie you know i if the church decided no we are not we don't think we have the authority to ordain women as deacons that would be a blow and i think that our church leaders need to know that there's a lot of folks that that might be the final blow for them like there's just a lot of folks who are just hanging on and they that our leaders have the ability to grow the hope. They could act in a way that would make it more hopeful. So, you know, I know it's not my decision to make. And so I practice a lot of indifference around it. And I I think what's been the most surprising part about entering into this project and trying to just grow the conversation is, you know, just constantly trying to take cues from what Pope Francis is is trying to invite us all into which is a real openness to the movement of the holy spirit without fear you know in total freedom that that the holy spirit hasn't left the building but is actually still animating the church and i think it's totally revolutionary so maybe we're going to end up somewhere totally different than women deacons women deacons but is it good for us to create space where more women can tell the truth inside the church about the laments they carry, about their hopes, about their prayers, about what difference it would make for our communities if women could preach and preside at baptisms and funerals and and kind of grow their social ministry because they're able to be the bearers of the church in different places um, in a formal way.
2: This is an interesting approach because right now, my understanding is that the the Vatican that's looking at this and commissioning these studies. And it's really looking at, it's looking at theology and it's looking at history, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I there's not a ton of uh, listening to the people of God right now, which is not to say like, that's the only thing that should dictate whether this happens, right? Mm-hmm. That being Catholic, we, we've got to look back <laughs> at the history and at the theology. But um, do you think there's something missing if that's all we're doing?
4: Absolutely. I think that the, um, the International Theological Commission, which studied this topic, um, Cardinal Ratzinger com- commissioned them to study it. And then they finally released a report, I think it was in 2002. And at the conclusion, what they said was we essentially offer that this question of women in the diaconate, given all the historical and theological evidence, ultimately must be left up to the ministry of discernment entrusted to the church. So how do we make a good discernment? How do we as a collective make a good discernment about, you know, where? what do we listen? I think the Holy Father is trying to teach us all how to do this, right? How do we listen deeply, especially to those who are on the peripheries and on the margins? How do we give space for discernment? And then as we read the signs of the times, you know, can we have the courage to, to do a new thing especially when it's not going against our current body of church teaching. It's just, which I think is one of the things that's really important to name about the diaconate, that there's nothing canonically that precludes the church from deciding tomorrow to ordain women as deacons. So when we, when we put the question t- as a living question today, that's what we've been doing in discerning deacons. We're just inviting people to say, okay, so here's the history of the diaconate. Here's the history of women deacons in the early church. Here's what's been happening for the last 50 years with the modern diaconate. Now enter, dip down into a Holy Spirit place and say, what? Just draw up the imagination. Think about the communities you're a part of. Think about your parish. Think about the people you love who are in the church, who've fallen away. What difference would it make if women were ordained as deacons for the people you know and love? Do you know women who have that call? You know, and we're just living that conversation together and and hopefully in conversation with our
1: bishops if they're not afraid to enter into it. One question, do you see Pope Francis as, you know, an an ally in this conversation you're trying to to sustain because on the one hand, you know, he's had these two commissions on women deacons and and think most Americans are accustomed to thinking that like committees is where you send things to die. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, he also is very much talks about how the church needs to be listening to the Holy Spirit. And you know, in the next two years, he's initiated what this synodal process that you know is a starts at the grassroots of bishops and lay people and priests all coming together and discerning the needs of the church. So that seems like a natural place for something like this conversation, but I don't know. So how do you how do you weigh those two things? I think there's
4: a real paradox because on the one hand, I think Pope Francis, he sees the distortions created by clericalism, by a notion of the church where the only ones who should have a voice and have authority and have agency and decision-making and leadership or are those who are ordained. And he wants to crack open all of our understanding about the power and authority given to all of us by our baptism to be full participants. And I think he, this, everything about this synodal process is t- trying to correct the distortions of clericalism and invite more radical participation at every level. So it can, the paradox or the tension is inside of that. I think there's a hesitance to ordain more people, to say, oh, okay, so we're in this anti-clerical moment, but now we're going to ordain women. And I feel like this is the Holy Spirit thing. I feel like the Holy Spirit's always working in these both ends and these paradoxes. Like, yes, actually, the way to continue to de-clericalize the church is to open up the diaconate to all, to anyone who's called, to not not, um, create a gender barrier here where there doesn't actually need to be one so so that it could declericalize the church to invite women into this order now i think there's a lot of work to do i'm not a theologian i think that's some of the task for theologians but when i think on the ground about this i think about women who are ready to be collaborative and sh- be in collaborative ministry and absolutely are ministers who work by animating other people and trying to unleash and serve folks and and that's what I see would be a huge contribution to the diaconate, which often falls prey to the same distortions of clericalism, of deacons sort of obsessed with service at the altar or primarily concerned with the liturgical roles that they're playing versus kind of the wider vision of what is it to be a servant leader and to help. So I think Pope Francis is open to the Holy Spirit and uh, I think in, insofar as we are all trusting in the Holy Spirit to guide, especially in this process in the next couple of years, who knows what could unfold.
2: Now, in the spirit of discernment, um, and this is maybe a difficult question, but what's like the best argument against ordaining women to the diaconate? And is it one that you have any you know, un- like sympathy for or understanding for?
4: It's funny because I think there's actually really interesting arguments from all sides. So I think sure. on one side, there's an argument that says, well, women don't, you don't want to have to come under the thumb of a bishop and women are going to be, you know, enshrined as perpetual servants in the church and they're already, they already have too much of a servant status as it is. And now you're going to kind of um, reinforce that or there's going to be like a limited a limitation on the freedom and agency that women might have to engage in their ministry. So that's on on one end. And then I think on another end there's a fear that this just will automatically lead to the ordination of women to the priesthood which we which can't happen and therefore this mm-hmm. cannot happen. So I think those those represent what I've heard as two extremes and I think As with all discernments, I think there's always a middle way that's more complicated and more nuanced that's about, well, is the Holy Spirit calling women to this particular ministry, not to everything, but to this thing? And is the the Holy Spirit inviting the church to receive women as deacons?
2: So it wasn't that difficult of a question at all, I guess. You have a pretty clear understanding of it. Um.
4: (laughs) I mean, it's kind of tricky, but like I I don't know. I think there's also just like a – there's an imagination thing too, you guys, because it just hasn't been imagined. Mm -hmm. And so people – there's a lot of fear, you know? We couldn't imagine that the sun was the center of the universe instead of the earth. We can't imagine – you know, what would it be to have women vested? It'll displace the men. You know, the church is already too feminized and this will just add to the sense that men don't really have a place here. You know, um,
1: I think there's those kinds of fears that exist. So one thing that just like popped into my head when you were talking about the tension of, you know, Pope Francis realizing that clericalism is, is a problem and maybe ordaining more people is not the solution. So I'm wondering if, like, is there a different path where it's, you know, you don't ordain more people and women, you make it so you don't have to be ordained to, like, say a homily at Mass. Like, is that even, is that more off the table, or is that another option that could happen? Yeah,
4: I think the allowing
1: for lay faculties for preaching,
4: granting lay faculties for people who are formed and trained as preachers, I think would be beautiful and a real development in our understanding about the ministry of the word and the importance of the word. And so I I think that is a a path. I think there's been some incredible – especially dominicans kind of advancing that conversation in the church and so i think that is one path and you see too with pope francis this year just elevating the catechist as a as a vocation right yeah. trying to i think recognize with more dignity and authority, these other roles and ministries as vital.
2: Catechist and, and lector, yeah. he's, done, he's done a yeah, lot of these. Installing yeah, installing
4: women as lector and mm-hmm. acolyte. You see that note in the synod, it like is saying, yeah. make sure you do this, you guys, you gotta go out there and install some women as lectors and acolytes.
1: And I guess what I'm struggling with is, is the thing that you feel called to and the people or the women you've met feel called to specifically, ordination or is it having access to these things that are currently blocked to because of ordination Mm -hmm. and so it's like you you got to get one to get the other
4: (laughs) Mm, that's a good question like is it and I guess one thing I wouldn't want to do is kind of reduce this to like a rights discourse like we should have the right to do all these things because the church just thinks in a different order and I yeah. actually think we think in this order of call and of sacramental grace. So more than anything, what I, what I desire and what I think many women desire is the the grace of the sacrament so that on hard days when you want to quit because ministry is hard a lot of days, you're reminded that you've made this lifelong commitment and it's ordained and blessed and you can... You can count on God's grace to keep you and that you are able to be drawn up in the sacramental um, reality of the church. One, one woman, Kelly, who ministers in Boston, she talked about, you know, if, you know, if I were to be ordained a deacon tomorrow, in so many ways, nothing about her daily, day-to-day would change. She said, but spiritually, everything would change. And, and so I don't think it's just about the tasks that deacons are permitted to do. I think it's about becoming, like who we get to become, <laughs> our our vocation, our path to holiness. Um you know that it's through the 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 gift of the diaconate and the grace of the diaconate that that's what we're seeking to be a part of. So
2: I'm imagining like a flip side of the question where you we substitute the word like diaconate for marriage, right? Like mm. oh, if you could just be allowed to like <laughs> do all the things that you do with as, with your married spouse um, but you could it was you know called something else right um, mm-hmm. I thought that yeah. was a fantastic answer and thanks so much for coming on the show Casey we have one final question for you okay uh, that we ask all of our guests okay and it's if you could canonize one person living or dead Catholic or not fictional or real ordained or lay who would it be and why
4: Oh, it for sure would be Dorothy Day. She's just my constant patron and companion, and I think she's a witness to the power of a lay vocation that we're all called to kind of take the gospel seriously and believe in the the actual revolutionary message of Jesus, (laughs) which is against often the powers and principalities and is just pointing to this way of peace and mercy that yeah, is so compelling. So Dorothy Day would be would be the patron. And I feel like those of us who she's love on, her don't yeah. have the money to like put forth her cause. So I would love to just have a a magic wand. A
2: yeah, magic wand. And be able yeah. To do it. Yeah, well, if this show has any power, <laughs> I don't know that it does. Uh we're we're certainly adding to the tally. You <laughs> she's been canonized on the show. Okay, got it. Um, okay.
4: She's a lot of fans in the Jesuitical world. Which
2: makes a yeah. lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Um Casey, uh, anything you want to? You, you're writing an article for America about this new study that um, has been commissioned by Discerning Deacons on on women in the diaconate. Uh, anything else you? And we're definitely going to link to all of that in our show notes. But is there anything you want to plug? Just tell people what Discerning Deacons is and how they can get involved, maybe.
4: Sure. Um, I think I just would invite people to hop on a welcome call. We just are welcoming people every month. Um, it's kind of like
1: the
4: yeah, just as as a way to meet other people who are learning about this young old men women ordained lay all the folks who are feeling inspired and maybe you've been looking for a way to learn more or a way to be part of a collective witness in the church for this hope and that's what we're doing together is just trying to meet and grow the community and grow the conversation and yeah take courage from each other that it's this is a good thing for us to talk about however the road kind of unfolds before us so I'd welcome I'd love to meet people on a welcome call and
2: awesome and the website is discerningdeacons.org yes. you can find that in whatever browser you choose yes Casey thanks so much for joining us
4: thank you so much for having me it was fun to talk with you all I appreciate it
1: we were riding down the freeway in the summer rain making men-
0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline.
1: And now it's time for some housekeeping. What do we have this week, Zach?
2: So if... You enjoyed that conversation with Casey. We've got a ton more stuff on women in the church. That America just published a special issue on that exact topic. And you know, we referenced a few things in that conversation. You know, Cardinal Avery Dulles, is, uh, he he had this sort of landmark article on women's ordination, where he suggests at the end the possibility of ordaining women to the diaconate. We've got all that and way more. If that's a topic you want to dive into go to grad school or or click on the link in our show notes and we've got a number of things that are going to keep you really interested.
1: And come back next week when we'll be talking to Colleen Dully again about her future article in that issue. She writes about the rise of women to leadership roles within the Vatican and what that means for the future of the church.
2: That's right. So stay tuned. Again, that's all at americamagazine.org and in the show notes.
1: And now it's time for As One Friend Speaks to Another, the part of our show where we talk about where we're finding God in our lives. God bless
2: you, Zach. Thank you. Thank you. Right on cue. Okay. uh, Yes. uh, I so again for our listeners, this is a new segment, and the way we think this is going to work, we're going to take turns uh, bringing a topic each week. I'm going to go first this week, um, and we're going to try to unpack it a little bit and what it means for the spiritual life. Yes,
1: modeling a non weird way to talk about faith with your
2: friends. Yes, non weird emphasis there. So this weekend, this past weekend, my wife Amanda and I uh, went to a wedding in Ohio. That involved, uh, it was a great time we had, you know, it was a lot of fun, but it was sort of like a little up in the air whether we were going to make the trip or not because my wife just started grad school and scheduling was tough. And, you know, at the end of it, we were going to have to drive basically eight hours on Friday and then eight hours again on Sunday for the Saturday wedding and just, you know, it's (laughs) It's a It's a lot.
1: No one loves Pennsylvania that much.
2: Yeah, Pennsylvania is an enormous state, and I love it. There's a lot of beautiful things there, but I-80, I've seen plenty of. But, you know, we had we did have a great time, and, you know, we're driving back, and Amanda and I are talking, and it's just like, Amanda's I like, we made a lot of people really happy. And, you know, we were talking about how good that felt, and she's like, you know, it's we always say, you know, and one of the things we try to do in our marriage is just show up and how important that is you, um, the importance of just showing up, even when you, it's hard. And when you don't feel like it, you know, for the important things that, you know, just be there. And that got me thinking a little bit about um, all the times that people in my life, like an example, like I had a, my like best childhood friend showed up to my, my grandma's calling hours. And that's something like, I will never ever forget. Right. Like just seeing someone's presence there and we didn't have like a conversation or anything, but like, that hug meant the world to me. And that's sort of like a lot of the spiritual life in the way that, you know, whether it's with prayer or like- No, the... it
1: makes me think of just, you know, mass. <laughs> like- Yeah. I remember, you know, during the pandemic when, when churches started uh, having in-person uh, mass again, I, you know, I thought about it and decided I wanted to be there. And so I would go and, you know, there would be maybe 10 other people there. And, you know, the the priest would just be like, it seemed like talking to each person individually, just being like, I understand why people aren't coming, but having you here, just being with you, having you present uh, means the world to me. And like, there's this monk that goes to goes to St. Boniface, and I did the readings one week, and he just come up to me and was like, just thank you for being here. And I was just like, felt it. <laughs> um, yeah. And thinking back on that now, I'm like, oh, I've kind of not been showing up as much recently. And so having this conversation is definitely like stirring in me a reflection on like how good that felt and that it, it could feel good again to, to be there.
2: Well, and it's like, it's not always going to feel good, right? Yeah. Like, um, and that's part of the, I think the, the wisdom of just showing up, right? Yeah. Cause you don't just show up because You do get that gratification. Though sometimes it's immediate, right? Sometimes you realize right after the fact, you know, the the bride at the wedding says, I'm so glad you guys made it. Um, But other times it's like you have no idea what what effect it's going to have on someone. Anyway, thanks for listening, Ashley.
1: Yeah. And I think part of the show that we might try is, you know, inviting people to to join us in these conversations, whether that's, you know, just in their own heads while they're after they're listening or if they want to come to the Facebook page so is there any is there any question that you would pose to to people to reflect on that? Yeah
2: maybe as you're going through your week this week try to you know call to mind and think about um you know where is there a moment in your life where someone's just pure presence made a huge impact on you um and you know something that has stayed with you yeah.
1: Oh there is that was um a quote that I wanted to bring up from Pope Francis's talk that you <laughs> you made fun of us sounding impossibly youth pastor. I cringed. I cringed <laughs> like yeah. a youth pastor. Um, but he's he, when he's asked, you know, you know, what does what does your type of pastoral life look like? And he talks about closeness.
2: And he says, you know, people say like, uh, I can't pray because I'm busy. And Francis says, Well, God is busy too. Busy being close to you. I swear to God, that's what he said. Um, God is busy being close to you.
1: He's showing up. He's present.
2: He is present. And so I, I read that in the you know youth pastor voice, um, but it's true. God is always there, even when we're not realizing it. And so thanks for thanks for listening. Why don't you get us out of here?
1: Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes. Our editor is Kevin Christopher Robles faith formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of America Media in New York City. From the William J. shirt Studios of America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.